0: So a couple of months ago, I was eating uh, lunch at a restaurant just down the street from our offices off of 8th Avenue South, and, and I had this kind of encounter that happens fairly regularly. I'm in this restaurant, and this college couple, sophomores in college who had just started worshiping with us at Ethos, they came up and they said, hey, we've been at Ethos the last couple of weeks. and..." and uh, we've seen you up front, and we just want to come up and say thank you for uh, all that you guys do. We don't know your role at the church. We're not sure if you're even on staff, but we saw you give announcements at the end, and we just wanted to introduce ourselves, and they said, and we were so blown away by the preaching over the last couple of weeks. Just touched our hearts, and and uh, Aaron Etheridge was the one who had been preaching, and, uh, and they were just going on and on and on about Aaron, which was kind of nauseating. You know, they're, he's so amazing, so great, and, and uh, they were like, well, I can't remember what his name was. And, and I'd been gone one of those weeks. I was like, describe him, describe what he looks like. And they're like, well, you know, kind of like you, except he has a small beard. I'm like a goatee, you know, it's called a goatee. It's like, yes, he's a goatee. They said, he looks kind of earthy, which is a great description. <laughs> and I said, Aaron. And, and they're like, yeah, man, we love Aaron. And I'm like, you've heard him preach two weeks. You don't know Aaron. And, and so we're, we're kind of laughing. And I said, I've been friends with him for 27 years. For instance, we were teenagers, and so I'm just kind of telling them stories just about his personality and what I love about him, and the more we, the more we chatted, they're like, man, I would love to get to know that side of him, and one of the things that kind of struck me as I was thinking back on that moment this week is it's one thing to, to know and love and appreciate somebody at a distance, to know some facts about them, to, to know some kind of generalities. It is an entirely different thing to know their person. It's another personality, to know the things that they're, they're hardwired for. And one of the things, one of the kind of the beautiful distinct advantages that I know that I have that some of you don't have is every Sunday I have the joy of sitting in one of these seats, and I, when I hear Aaron teach, I'm hearing Aaron teach, not just from the scriptures, but through his heart and through his personality and through all of these, these years of experience. And there's something about his personality that gives his preaching color for me. And I thought back to this this moment uh, last year where uh, Aaron and I and a couple of our buddies, uh, Lee and Cully, we had taken a camping trip out uh, to the desert. We wanted to get away for a few days. And there was this this one moment in particular we had camped out in Death Valley. And uh, the night we camped out, it was almost 70 mile an hour winds, which was just insane. Had to put our tent right by the car so it wouldn't blow away. And uh, so many fun memories. But the next morning we woke up and we were walking through Death Valley and there was this, this moment where Aaron did something that in about 60 seconds caught so much of my personality, and after uh, caught so much of his personality. And so after that moment a few weeks ago in the restaurant, I thought, man, it'd be a shame for you all to sit here and hear us preaching week after week and to not know Aaron better as a person. So we, we caught this on video. Let's watch this video together. Um, this is Aaron Etheridge. Um, he's done this to me before, and I've been looking for a moment to get him back. So let's watch this video from Death Valley from a year ago. I'd be climbing that mountain. No, dude. I think I'd do that thing if you Hold on, hold on, I'm not ready yet. I, a I got a video <laughs> on you. Tell us what you're doing, man. <laughs> I, I, I gotta make sure I can do it. Hang on. Just give me a minute. Give me a I'm gonna go back to the Badwater Basin in Dead Valley. 58 mile drop of wind. What could go wrong? <laughs> what could go wrong? <laughs> could go wrong? <laughs> it's really windy. heavy very heavy. Yeah, I'll tell you when to start filming. Gonna... No problem. Woo. Tell me when you're ready, I'll turn it on. That's Take the boots off, man. Right, Here we go, here we go, start. Here we go. Ah! Ah! 41 years old, baby. Still doing back flips. Yeah, give it up for our now 42 year old, one of our teaching pastors, who can still do backflips, and you know, the only thing that would've made that video better is if he would've face planted, and uh, which some of you are secretly hoping for and expecting. Um, no, I, I love that moment, I, I thought of that, so much of his personality, what I've loved about him for 27 years just, just comes out in that, you know, his, his, his kind of crazy, Funny, like adventurous, wild, athletic spirit. You know, he, he loves. He's like most alive in, in, the outdoors. He loves taking chances. He loves taking risk. And, and I, I was thinking about that this week. And I wish he was here this morning. He's actually preaching at another church across town. And so it'd be awesome right now if all seven hundred of us just texted him. Uh, if you don't have his number, this is his number. You take a screenshot of that. It's actually Papa John. So don't text that number. Um, and, uh, but if you see him, you can text him or, or, or encourage him, but so much of, of his personality, of his spirit, is in that one little snapshot, and so every time I hear him speak, or every time I see him do something, I see it through the lens of his personality. And I think one of the, the challenges, especially in the religious south, is a lot of us, our intellectual understanding of Jesus far exceeds our personal encounters with Jesus. And without even meaning to, what happens is we open up the Gospels, we, we read the Scriptures, we read these stories of Jesus, and it's like two-dimensional. He's far off. You're, you're reading stories without understanding the the, the, the humor and, 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 and the courage and, the, and, and just the, the compassion and all of these things about Jesus. And if you don't understand the personality of Jesus, reading the Gospels is like watching TV with the volume turned off. Or it's like seeing a black and white photo and trying to make sense of what colors the people are wearing. or It's like trying to, to cut through the static and to hear that still small voice. And so one of our desires this summer, just week after week as we open up the scriptures, and as we take one snapshot of Jesus, is that the Spirit of God would do something in you to dust off any of this kind of old, dusty, southern religion, and that the, 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 the personality of Jesus would come back and live in color, that you'd hear his voice, that the volume would be turned up, that he'd become multidimensional once again. And this is one of my favorite moments in Matthew chapter 17. I believe it's, it's almost like a 60-second video clip from Jesus' life where you see him do something, and you go, man, tell me, I want to know that. God. I want to know him, and so Matthew chapter 17 is where we're gonna be this morning. We're gonna spend most of our time in verses 23 through 27, but before we get there, I wanna give you just the landscape of this chapter, sort of the emotional topography, so you can make sense of what unfolds in the story. And so here's the cliff notes on Matthew 17. It starts at the beginning of the chapter. Jesus is towards the end of his earthly ministry. He's around 32 years old. His disciples have been walking with him for about two years at this point. And you get to the beginning of Matthew chapter 17 and Jesus takes three of his closest friends up onto this mountain where the scriptures tell us that he is transfigured in their presence. In other words, the disciples, they get a snapshot of what Jesus is gonna look like and be like after he's raised from the dead. They see him in all of his glory. And I love one of the moments, one of the statements that Peter makes in that moment. He's in this place of spiritual euphoria quite physically and spiritually. He's in this mountaintop moment, and he looks at Jesus in all of his joy and in all of his euphoria, and he says, Jesus, it is very good for us to be here. (laughs) And he goes, do you want me to build three shelters? Do you want us to just set up roots here? You know, I don't know if you've ever had one of those experiences where you've been in a moment so beautiful, so good, you think I would do anything to stay here. So what I felt towards the end of my honeymoon with Sydney, I remember we literally got to the last day and we're looking at our online banking going, can we afford in any way to stay here for a few more days? And spoiler alert, we couldn't, we had to go back to reality. But this is where Matthew 17 begins. The disciples are in this place of spiritual and physical euphoria with Jesus and they don't want to leave. So it starts on this high mountaintop moment. But as you follow Matthew 17, they come down from the mountain both physically and spiritually and the first thing they're confronted with, do any of you remember what happens when they come down the Mount of Transfiguration? Immediately they go from this moment of euphoria into the crowds that are verbally assaulting the disciples because the disciples were unable to cast out this demon from a little boy that had, brought, that had been brought to the disciples by his father. And so they go from euphoria to confusion, okay, Jesus, how come our faith isn't working the way that we thought our faith was gonna be working at this point? And they leave that moment after Jesus heals the little boy and they they begin walking back to Capernaum, the small little town that several of the disciples were from, including Peter. They're walking back to Capernaum for a few days to their home base, this little village on the Sea of Galilee and as they're walking back, Jesus has this really difficult conversation with them where he says, hey, in in just a little while, I'm gonna be arrested, beaten, crucified and then after that I'm going to raise from the dead and look at the end of verse 23 with me in Matthew chapter 17 the end of verse 23 it says Jesus is talking about himself he says they will kill him and on the third day he will be raised to life and the disciples were filled with what somebody shouted out they were filled with filled with grief they were filled some of your Bibles say they were filled with deep grief I like one translation says they were filled with unshakable grief over the course of a few days, they had gone from this this mountaintop, euphoric, life can't get any better than this, to this moment of confusion and doubt and sorrow into this place of unthinkable grief. And it's in this place of grief that they arrive at home. They come back to Capernaum. I just imagine them rolling into the house late at night. You know, maybe if you've ever been on a road trip and you get in so late, you don't even have the energy to unpack the car. You know, you get, in, you get into the house and they walk in and Peter wakes his wife up and kisses her and lays in bed and Jesus and the other disciples are crashing on the floor like your buddies after a bachelor party. And this is where our story opens up in Matthew 17. Look at verse 24 with me. I just want you to picture this. This is the 60-second video. This is the snapshot where so much of Jesus' personality for me just comes to life. It says, after Jesus and his disciples had arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma temple tax came to Peter and they asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, he replied. So here's the moment that they've been in. Started in euphoria, came into confusion, marked by grief, rolled into their house in the middle of the night, they're waking up a little, a little dreary, a little exhausted, and then knock on the door, and who's there? The IRS. What a terrible turn of events. Like, you know, you read this, it's just like so two-dimensional. Just put yourself in the moment. The IRS shows up and says, hey, you owe two drachma. Your master owes two drachma. That's about 400 bucks in our day. Those of you that have good jobs, you're like, 400 bucks, what's the big deal? Here's my credit card. Remember, Peter had quit his job to follow Jesus. He was probably broke as a joke, did not know where his next meal was coming from, and all of a sudden, he has this unexpected expense. Have you ever had one of these moments where you're living paycheck to paycheck and then something that was not in your plan shows up knocking on your door and you go, I don't know what I'm going to do next. It's disorienting. It's frustrating. It's scary. All of these things. This is the moment that Peter finds himself in. From euphoria to confusion to grief, now he's confronted with his his insufficiency, with his inability. It keeps going like this in verse 25. Peter goes, yes, he pays taxes, He's a fisherman. Maybe he had some colorful language. We don't know. He said, "Yes, he pays taxes." And then Peter came into the house, and this is a key moment in the story. Who was the first to speak? The answer's on the screen. You can shout it out. Who was the first to speak? Jesus. Oh, come on! Who was the first to speak? Jesus, guys. If we're going to do this, we've got to be able to talk together. <laughs> Who was the first to speak? Help me out. Jesus. Jesus. This is a key. This is a key moment in the story. Peter walks in, confused sad, disoriented. And before he says a word, Jesus speaks. He speaks. I love this, he asks a question as he so often does. He goes, what do you think about this, Simon? What do you think about this, Peter? From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes, from their own children or from others? Peter said, from others. Then the children are exempt, Jesus said to them. True story, one of my buddies from college used this verse as an excuse to not pay his taxes for about a decade. Um, Not a great idea, he got caught, and uh, he's working that out now. Um, If he would've just read one verse further, look at this, verse 27. He goes, but so that we may not cause offense. This is our official position as a church, by the way, that you should pay taxes. He says, go to the lake and throw out your line and take the first fish that you catch, open its mouth and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours." Now, what a crazy, weird, miracle, strange little story. I would argue most of you don't have this verse on a t-shirt or on a coffee mug to inspire you in the morning, most of you have not built your life around this verse uh, or wrestled with this moment. But I believe this little story is like a 60-second video of Jesus doing a flip in the desert that gives you so much insight into his personality gives you so much backstory. And I want us to just chew on it together for a few minutes. I want us to to do what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 3. I want us to behold or to contemplate the glory of Jesus' personality here in this moment because as you do this, I believe that we'll actually be transformed into his likeness. And so let's just kind of get in and let, let's just chew on the story for just a minute. If you're the type of person that takes notes, one of the first things that just kind of jumped out at me about this moment is that in the context of Peter's life, Jesus understands his pressure. Jesus understands his pressure. This is the world's largest water bottle. I'll keep kicking it over over and over. Jesus, Jesus understands his pressure. He understands what, what Peter's facing He knew that that Peter had quit his job. Why did he know that Peter had quit his job? Because Jesus had told him to. (laughs) He knew that Peter was living paycheck to paycheck. He knew that Peter was in deep grief. Why? Because Jesus was the one that had said something that had put him there. He knew that Peter was confused and wrestling. Jesus understood absolutely all of it. And guys, it's an amazing thing when you really stop to think about the God who spoke the Rocky Mountains into existence, the God who created all things, the the, the God who sees everything on a macro level, who is big enough to say that the world can be his footstool, but is close enough to climb into Mary's womb to come amongst us in the incarnate God to think that he's so close that he understands you. Before Peter said a word, Jesus speaks. So let's have a conversation. Remember years ago, one of my dear friends, she had felt led to to jump out and start this new venture. She had a really cushy job, great community, everything was kind of nice and put together in her life and she felt as though she was supposed to jump out and start something new. So she jumps out to start this new thing and immediately she begins to feel pressure. How's she gonna pay the bills? Bills, (laughs) how's that for southern? How's she gonna pay the bills? you guys try talking in front of people from a microphone and see how you do, okay? So <laughs> before you judge me, um, how, she's feeling the pressure. How is she going to pay the bills? How, how is she going to find community? How is this going to work? Is she going to fall flat on her face? She's just wrestling with all of these things. About a year into it, she gets invited to this small little strategic think tank for young entrepreneurs, and she had a group of us praying that she'd have breakthrough. Man, I want breakthrough. I want breakthrough. She gets there. She comes back and we're like, hey, how'd it go? Did you get the strategy? Did you get the breakthrough? Did you get the thing that you need? And I'll never forget what she said to us. She said, said, I got what I needed, but not what I thought I wanted. She said, what I wanted was strategy. What I wanted was clarity. She said, what I got was the gift of being in a room with a group of people who understood me, who understood my pressure. I think sometimes we miss this about Jesus. He's larger than life, but he's closer than your breath, and he understands every bit of pressure. He understands the pressure that you're going through as a young parent, just trying to keep things together and get a little bit of time with the Lord in the morning. He understands the pressure that you're feeling in the context of your business. He feels the pressure that you're experiencing as you're walking with aging parents and it's grieving your heart. He understands the pressure that you feel as a young, single, 30-something. Why? Because he was young, single, 30-something. He understands the pressure that you're in. And I love this. Jesus does not ignore or write off or belittle Peter's pressure. He names it what a beautiful, man, what a beautiful picture of the gospel. That the God of the universe is not emotionally asleep at the wheel. That he's not aloof to the things that are causing you hardship and pain. But he understands the pressure. Kind of second snapshot out of the story that just kind of hit me this week is not just that he understands the pressure, but that he takes the moment to elevate Peter's perspective. He wants to elevate Peter's perspective Now it's a comforting thing for Jesus to know what's bringing us pressure, but let's just go ahead and acknowledge so often what Jesus does in our moment of pressure is uncomfortable. It's comforting that he knows our pressure, but man, it is uncomfortable the way that Jesus will so often linger and let us linger in that place of pressure. And I want you to hear this because Jesus, listen, Jesus is far more interested in your eternal growth than he is in your temporary escape from pressure. He's far more eager to watch you grow eternally than to see you just kind of sit and get out of this place of pressure as quickly as possible. But I don't know if you ever know if you've been in one of these moments where the, the pressure is just mounting and you don't want an object lesson. You don't want Jesus to stop in the moment and to say, hey, let's talk about the kings of the earth and taxes and what we do as believers. You want Jesus to throw you a lifeline, to open a door, to give you the escape plan to help you. It's what you long for. Some of you are in that season of pressure right now, and you keep asking for release, and Jesus keeps helping you grow. He understands the pressure. But he's interested in elevating Peter's perspective. I want you just allow this story to have a little bit of color for a moment. Just I picture Jesus is in the kitchen of this small little house on the Lake of Galilee in Capernaum and he's cutting up vegetables. He just got done seasoning the brisket that he's gonna put you know, in the smoker. And, and, and Peter walks in and Jesus is there at the counter, relaxed, laid back, and he goes, hey Peter, let's talk about the conversation you just had. He goes, how do the kings of the earth operate with people like you? Let me elevate your perspective. And I imagine Peter was probably not in the mood in that moment to wanna to have the conversation, but Jesus was more interested in his eternal growth than he was in his temporary escape from the pressure. And so Peter entertains him and Jesus is inviting him to think higher. I remember years ago, a dear friend of mine, we started college together. And when we started college, the first day we were in school, he was walking through the student center. And all of these booths were set up you know, for student activities and different opportunities in the, uh, in the city. And some of the booths that was set up every year in the student center were these credit card companies that were there to, to give kids credit cards as they're starting college, which seems really kind of them. And uh, my buddy who had never had a conversation with his parents about money or credit cards comes back and he's like, man, I applied for three and you'll never believe it. All three said yes, and I'm like, Dude, believe it or not, you didn't hit the lottery. That's the way this works. They want you to have the card. And over the next several years, my buddy who had never made more than 12 bucks an hour is living like a Kardashian. He's buying new furniture for the dorm room, and he's buying meals that he can't afford, and he is buying clothes, and he is racking up both uh, uh, um, school debt and consumer debt at a rate that he did not understand, and so he gets out of college with almost $100,000 in debt. He gets a pretty decent job, but he keeps spending way beyond his means, having no idea how how this all works together. And when we're in our mid-twenties, one night he's driving down the street in his third new car that he's owned since he had left his parents' house all bought on lines of credit, and he crashes the car on the interstate, and his world just begins to fall apart because his financial house of cards just begins to crumble. His parents, who are pretty well-to-do, they fly into town to come have a conversation with them and said hey we know that all you're looking for is a get out of jail free card but this is a moment where the Lord is trying to shift your perspective it was one of those moments where my friend wanted out of the pressure (laughs) but his parents loved him enough to let him linger in it for a season so his perspective could be elevated I love this, this little snapshot of Jesus. He, he steps in, he understands what Peter is going through. He, he elevates the perspective. And there's this moment, if you've never read the story, or maybe even if you read it before, where the story takes a turn that you don't see coming unless you've just read it so much that you've grown cold to it. I don't know what you would have expected Jesus to have said in response to Peter's little conversation about the taxes, but, but my expectation is that Jesus would have given Peter a lecture on the evil of money. Or that Jesus would have given Peter some lecture on, you know, don't be worried. You know, I've got you covered. But, but what does Jesus do? Where, where does Jesus send him? Let's look back at verse 27 together. He said, but so that we may not cause offense, I want you to go to the lake and throw out your line and to take the first fish that you catch. I want you to open its mouth and you will find a 4 drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my taxes and for yours. Now, crazy miracle story, we'll talk about the reality of miracles in another sermon in another day. But I just want you to to just be in awe of of the creativity, the compassion, the power, the humor, the playfulness of Jesus in this moment. Um, Does anybody remember what, what Peter did? before he was a disciple of Jesus? Uh, does anybody have the courage to shout it out? If you get it wrong, we will mock you relentlessly. So this is a safe environment to be wrong, right? Um, so my shout out, what did Peter do before he was a disciple of Jesus? Okay, now that you've heard the right answer, I'm gonna ask all of you, and you can say it together. What did Peter do before he was a disciple? He's a fisherman. He's a fisherman. And I want you to just think about this, this amazing moment. Peter's in this place of unbelievable pressure, He doesn't know how to get out of this this problem that he finds himself in the midst of. And Jesus, the God of the universe, he could have solved this problem in a thousand different ways, but the way he chooses to solve it gives us so much color, turns up the volume, gives us dimensions on the life and the personality of Christ. Jesus could have looked at Peter and said, okay, it's okay, buddy. We're gonna get a job on the weekend, we're gonna set up a payment plan with the IRS and in five years we'll get this thing worked out. Hey Peter, we're gonna start a GoFundMe, we're gonna get this thing worked out. Hey Peter, the the money is in the the money bag that Judas is holding on to, inside Bible Joke for some of you. It's probably safe there, you know. Go get some coins from him. No, what does Jesus do? Where does Jesus send Peter? He sends him to do what, help me out. Come on, you're gonna learn, he helps him to do what? He helps him go fishing. Because Jesus knew that Peter did not just need his problem quickly solved. He needed his soul to be untangled. And he knew that he could solve the problem in a moment. But Peter needed to go on a journey so his soul could be free again. He knew that Peter needed to grab the old fishing rod that he hadn't touched in months. He needed to feel the sunshine on his face, to to feel the wind in his hair, to hear the seagulls overhead, to watch eight-year-old kids run down the beach to be remembered, to be reminded of what that was like. He knew that Peter needed to feel the grit of sand and small stones between his toes. He He knew he needed to feel the thrill of that line tugging and him having to set the hook again for the first time. He knew he needed it. And he sends Peter to do the thing that he loved so that Peter could once again experience the one that he left everything for. Jesus shows up in this moment. I just imagine Peter going, wait, what's this have to do with taxes? And Jesus is like, grab your rod, get out of the house, Go to the lake. I'll tell your wife. Like, and, and they're walking out, and all the other disciples are like, Jesus, what are you doing? And I just imagine Jesus, I'm not sure how you picture his face. I just imagine him laughing, and he's like, guys, this is going to be hilarious. <laughs> he's going to sit there. I'm going to make him sit there all day. He's not going to catch anything because if he catches something quickly, he'll come back and he'll be worried again. I'm gonna make him sit in the place that he loves all day, but he's gonna catch that fish, and when he opens that fish, there's gonna be 400 bucks in the fish's mouth, and it is gonna untangle his soul and fill him with wonder again. Do you believe Jesus is playful enough to meet you in the things that you love the most to untangle your soul when you're in places of pressure that you can't escape? See, a lot of us have such a small, southern, dusty, two-dimensional, black and white TV with the volume turned off vision of Jesus, that you so expect for him to show up in a religious moment that you never see him when he shows up in the actual moments of your real life and you can't figure out why your soul is still struggling. And there's something about this. Jesus is in the kitchen, hey, go fish. I think that's how you cut stuff, go fish, go fish go fish. And he's sitting around with the boys and he's like, guys, when he comes back, he's going to be a new man. I love the way that good parents enter into their children's hearts on the bridge of their kids' passions. A good parent looks for connection points with their kids Even if the parents don't like it, I think back to earlier this year, uh, the grandparents bought my boys a Nintendo Switch and great gift that we couldn't have afforded to give them, but they get this Nintendo Switch. And my wife, Sydney, who never has played video games before, she's like, hey, I'm gonna learn how to play Mario as a way of connecting with our our kids. And at first, she was doing it as an act of love. Um, The the gig is up, we know she actually loves it now. And uh, she's gotten remarkably good. We might start a YouTube channel um, where we just (laughs) film her playing Mario. And what was so cool is she's used something so silly that my kids love as a bridge into their hearts. It's a way to connect. And it's what your heavenly Father will do for you if you have the eyes to see it. Think about one of my dear friends who years ago was stuck in a pretty tough place mentally and spiritually and he had kind of tried everything. He's like, what do I need to do? And I said, hey, I'd encourage you to sign up for a freedom prayer. If you've never been a part of a freedom prayer session here at Ethos, I don't know how to say this strong enough. There's no way to describe it in which it does not sound weird and creepy. (laughs) Every time I try to describe freedom prayer, it sounds weird and creepy. Everyone that I know that has gone through it goes, it's unbelievable. God opened something up in me. Yeah, there's a few of you. Like, so here's my desire. I wish I could make you do this. I can't make you do anything. If I could make every one of you go through one freedom prayer every single calendar year, I would because I think God would meet you in ways that I don't even know how to articulate. I think he'd meet you in one freedom prayer session in a way 52 sermons will never touch you. It's true. But my friend shows up at this freedom prayer session. He's bound up spiritually, emotionally, He sits down on the couch and these folks that are praying for him, they said, hey, let's just ask God to just speak to you. Maybe he'll give you an image, maybe he'll give you a statement, maybe he'll give you a scripture, anything that comes to your mind, we just want you to share it with us. So my buddy's sitting there in this uh, freedom prayer session, and they say, hey, is there anything popping in your mind yet? He says, no, nothing yet. And this goes on for a few moments, and they said, is there really not any image, any statement, any thought? And he goes, well, yeah, there's an image, but it's not a spiritual image. He said, I have this image of two baseball gloves. And what the folks who were leading the freedom prayer didn't know, and this is what's so beautiful about it, it's so often this anonymous thing that's just fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit. They did not know that my friend sitting on the couch is the biggest baseball fan I know of anybody uh, in the world. And uh, they said, hey, just ask Jesus why he showed you those two baseball gloves. And I'll never forget the way my friend told me this. He said, I asked the Lord, why are there two baseball gloves? And he did not hear an audible voice, but in his spirit, He just sensed the Lord saying, I want you to pick up one glove, I'll take the other. Let's just throw the ball and talk for a little while. And the way God met him, in the context of something so simple, he had no idea that the Lord would love him and know him well enough to meet him in the things that he loves. And this is the problem with the dusty two-dimensional black and white TV with the TV turned on with the volume turned down version of Jesus is a lot of us don't expect him to speak to us in all of the places where we actually are. And what I love about this story is in a moment you see Jesus's creativity and his playfulness and his compassion, and his omnipotent power, and you see his relational understanding, and you see all of it, and I believe you see all of it with a smile on his face, and I believe he's looking at us, and he goes, ethos, new season, blah, 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 we're in a new new building. Do you want to stick with the two-dimensional, volume turned off on the TV, religious, dusty version of Jesus, or do you want to know him? And guys, he wants us to know him. It's the longing of his heart. John 17, this is eternal life that you would know me. (laughs) Ephesians 1.17, I pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation, why? So that you will know me better. Not just the facts, but the personality. And the more I've chewed on these three verses, the more I've just thought about the decision-making of Jesus, the more everything else begins to come into living color. And so here's what I want to pray over this morning. I just invite you to close your eyes. I'm going to pray right now that the Lord will use this summer and maybe even just the moment that we've been in to begin cracking open the door to his wonderful, vivid, beautiful personality. I just want to pray over you and then I'm going to send us to communion with some things to ponder as we wrap our day. Let's just close, close our eyes. I just want to pray over you. Father, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Holy Spirit, I love you. And I just love these people. God, I love the, the journey that we're on. And Lord, we admit that we come to you in earnestness. And all of us, on some way, we, we want to know you, not just about you. And so, Lord, I just pray in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would knock the dust off, that you would turn the volume up, that you would begin to paint with color this summer even right now in this moment, that you would show us Jesus as he really is. Father, we long for the true Jesus. Jesus, we want to know the real you, the non-ignorable, the beautiful, the funny, the, the, the cunning, the strategic, the strong, the powerful, the gentle, the wise, the compassionate, the holy, the immutable, the larger than life, the closer than breath. Jesus, we want to know you, and so Spirit of the living God, God, would you free Ethos Church from two-dimensional, dusty, religious perceptions of you? Would you knock off every thing in our heart that's keeping you at arm's length, that's keeping us from knowing you? And Jesus, would you show up this week in the places of pressure and the problems that we're facing? Would you elevate our perspective in God in your whimsical, playful, powerful personality? Would you show up, Lord, in ways that only you can? God, would you breathe life into everything that we've deemed unspiritual, and would you meet us there by the power of the living God, even right now? God, in the ordinary moments of our pressure-filled day, in the things that matter greatly to you, would you deliver us from the false notions of Jesus? Would you bring us to the one, the spring of living water, the, the life, the truth, the only way to the Father? God, bring us to that Jesus. Jesus, we declare what you have already declared that you are the senior pastor of this church. You are the great shepherd. You are the head. You are the leader. You are the body. You are the friend. You long to put your joy, the completeness of your joy in us, and you long to give us life to the fullest. And so, Lord, I just pray in the name of Jesus that there would be this awakening to the personality of Christ in us and that you'd grow us in affection for who you really are. I love you. Thank you for loving us so personally. It's in the name of Jesus I pray and give thanks. And together we say amen. I invite you to stand. We have communion on tables around the room, on the bar. I want to encourage you to grab communion. We're going to have a question on the screen for you to just circle up and to talk and to pray for a few minutes. And then we're going to end with a song or two. If you'd like to receive prayer, if you want just a fresh encounter with the living God, there's some men and women at the Respond Banner to my left and your right that would love to pray with you and for you. I love you. Let's receive communion.